Startup. I'm Julian Newman. And I'm Chris Ye. All right, Chris, did you uh, read the email that I sent this week or, or uh, are, are you going to this uh, blind? I did not read the email you sent this week. I was so busy. On Sunday, I flew to Vancouver so that I could deliver a TED Talk on Monday. And then after I got back, I got back Monday night, got home after midnight, woke up in the morning, packed up and went on the Blitzscaling Ventures annual offsite. And so I have not seen many messages. I've been super duper busy. I have no idea what today's episode is going to be about. Oh, I forgot to tell you, we have a guy, the really famous uh, Afrobeat singer, kind of like Ruger, who you interviewed. Yes. Um, I love Afrobeats. Who uh, is at least tentatively accepted to come onto our podcast. And uh, I want to know if you, because I'm just remembering I emailed you about it and you ignored my email or you didn't answer it. So uh, I probably didn't see it. But yeah, no, I'd be delighted to, I'd be delighted to interview him or her. Yeah, her. It's, it's a guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's like Odu Modu Black or something. He's All like right. the top, um, like the, he, he hasn't been, he only has like 10 songs, but he's like the most popular Afrobeat singer right now. Um, so uh, we're, we're very, um, we're, we're very successful with Afrobeats, uh, the Afrobeats crowd for some reason. Just two great things that go great together. And uh, you should also know that you have sent a Christmas card to Ruger. So. Uh. Um, I'm glad that I was so thoughtful. <laughs> and to Deep Prince, who's the guy from his um, uh, his uh, record label. Uh, well, you know, again, uh, it will be funny if in five years, Blitzscaling a Startup is the number one Afrobeats podcast. And people will wonder <laughs> why it's called what it is. All right. So what we're discussing today is data network effects. Mm, okay. And... I'll tell you the reason why I'm bringing it up is, you know, I mean, I, I built two AI companies, like data heavy companies. So, and one of the challenges with AI companies has always been justifying the defensibility. Yes. And then the typical thing that people say is, you know, data network effects. And my belief was that that was all bullshit. And um, now you have this whole new wave of AI startups, and at least the people I talk to seem to believe that you know having you know this data moat is a real thing. As uh, so, and yeah, I'm I'm just not sure if it's true. I mean, presumably it's sometimes true, sometimes not true. And I, I, I had a couple of examples of companies where I felt it was obviously not true. Mm -hmm. uh, and s s a few companies I thought it, was odd, it, it might be true. Um, but I want to talk this through with you. And, and, and like, like, what's your initial kind of like take on data network effects? Perfect question. So data network effects, I hear that term thrown around quite a bit as well. And I think that my general thoughts right now are very much in line with yours, which is they might work, they might not work. And it's important to actually do the rigorous work of trying to figure out, are they actually in fact in play? Now, the, this is a good point for a quick reminder on what it means to have a network effect. A network effect is when as the nodes in the network increases, 
the value of the network to each individual node also increases. In other words, there's an increasing value for the individual user, not just overall. And as a result, if you have increasing value per individual user and an increasing number of users, when you multiply those two together, you get an exponentially increasing value. And that's why network effects are so powerful, because not only do you lock in the market, but you also create immense value, which you can then harvest in a variety of ways. That's why people love network effects. That's why there's even a company called NFX run by our dear friend and podcast guest, James Courier. That is also... You also sent him a uh, Christmas gift, by the way. I, I'm glad to hear that. I am so thoughtful. I, I think that's fantastic. Who runs a company that has over a billion dollars in assets under management has been very successful with education and branding because network effects are so critical. Now, the data network effect. The key question is, does the possession of other users' data make my experience as a user better? And better in a significant way, not just in a marginal 1% to 2% way. And that's the key litmus test. And in cases where that is true, there is a data network effect. And where cases where that isn't true, there is not one. Now, the reason this is a complicated question to answer is that the effect of data, just in terms of the amount of data that we've shoved into these LLMs, has proven to be you know, a relationship that's difficult to say, right? Obviously. And linear curve, it's not predicted. One GPT two, GPT three point five, GPT four, and the progress was not specifically linear exponential. It's not a thing that we necessarily can predict. And sometimes people talk about how, oh, well, in these areas, as we've increased the number of parameters in the model, uh, performance is actually degraded, and so it is much more difficult to predict as opposed to just saying, for sure. If we get more users, there will be an effect. It makes it difficult to be absolutely certain that will be the case. You have to be able to push through and persist long enough for the winding curve to go your way. So I want to talk through two examples where I think you can justify that there is a data network effect. And those are Google and Tesla. And I, I, so I do want to talk those through. But first, why... Like, why are people incentivized to claim that they have network effects? Like, why is it that it's so important to be able to say that essentially you have defensibility and that there'll be more and more value created over time? Why does that matter to entrepreneurs and to VCs? Well, it matters to VCs because, as you know from the book Blitzscaling, which I co-authored with our patron Saint Reed Hoffman, network effects are the primary reason why we have Blitzscalers. Right? Network effects are the factor that generate the winner-take-most markets, whether it be for social media, a la Facebook, for search, a la Google, for e-commerce, a la Amazon, and so on and so forth. In all those cases, those companies are so big and powerful because network effects are giving them a significant competitive advantage over every other entrant. And that makes their products so much more valuable to the end user. So at the end of the day, there's no legal barrier to keep people from trying something other than Amazon, something other than Facebook and so on. It's just that the utility to them as individual users is so high, they'd be crazy to try anything else. And so that's what generates these situations. Now, blitzscaling is a very formal way of saying this. 
But informally, VCs have known forever that network effects are enormously like a 3Com or a system. value of a network is equivalent to the square of the number of nodes. Get the square. So people forever have said why a company named NFX can be successful because this is a generally shared belief. And their value is not in being the first to say network effects are important. Their value lies in being very rigorous about how those network effects work and being able to help people say, okay, if you work with us, if you take investment from us, if you take our courses, you will know how to generate network effects. Okay, so let's take the example of Google. Um, and here my claim, and I don't know if it's true, uh, would be that more data makes Google search more valuable somehow. So it's kind of like as they search, as they kind of like index more um, pages, uh, then the... Yes and no. So that is an example of an economy of scale. But it's not a network effect because it's not directly related to the number of users or nodes in the network. So where the network effect does come in on the search side is by having more and more individual users of search. Google is able to learn and predict in advance what you're searching for. So the network effect doesn't show up in the search results necessarily. It tends to show up more in the autocomplete, in the ability to anticipate what your needs are. And by the way, I don't even think the strongest network effect that Google has. In blitzscaling, we talk about the primary network effect that Google has being on the AdWords side, on the commercialization side. Because if you did a Pepsi challenge, which is an old way of saying an A-B test, that's a blind A-B test, Google's search results are not necessarily that much better than, say, the search results you get from a Bing. But the monetization of Google AdWords means that Google can afford to spend far more on building up their search index and on marketing and on these deals with Apple and so on and so forth, who put Google in as their default search engine because Google's better at monetizing. They don't care if their users get better search results. What they care about is getting more money and Google can produce more money and that's their superpower. So so, so let's talk about that a bit more. So, so there, I mean, we touched, I mean, Google's a massive company and, and there are a lot of different things going on at Google, but but we discussed two types of defensibility that are data related. One is on the kind of indexing pages side where the mm -hmm. more page index data you have accumulated, the more value there is for the users, but that's not a network effect. Correct. And that's on network effect because it's not when there are more users, there's more value. That's right. Oh, yes. Or nodes in the network. So right. the pages that are being indexed are passive, right? There is no reaction from the pages to being indexed. 
So it doesn't have to be human users, by the way. In the field of AI, we will increasingly see network effects based not on the number of human users, but on the number of AI users or AI nodes. But the key is the node is a two-way relationship, whereas the indexing is a simple one-way relationship. Right. So that defensibility would be weaker because there are no, there's no like two-way relationship with the node. Correct. It's like in the old days, think back to before there was a internet. We used to have these things called phone books and these phone books would have the businesses listed in them. The fact that the phone book had all the listings was important, but it wasn't something that necessarily meant that having one listing increased. was on the advertising side. So if you would be more successful because you could generate more money and because there would be more advertisements and there would be coupons and things like that, get 20% off, say this. And all of a sudden that does begin to create a bit of a network effect. And so the key is, is there a two-way relationship? Is there something feeding back to the nodes in the network, whether it is the direct nodes, the listings, or the indirect nodes, the consumers who are using those yellow pages? Right. So essentially, you need to have somebody that's not your business taking an action uh, to have the data added. And when you have that, so let's say it's a person or another business or whatever, then it becomes really difficult for somebody to come and copy you. So, so let's say Bing is able to easily copy Google because there's no need for the sites to do anything. Bing just needs to invest, you know, two billion dollars and scrape a bunch of websites, and and they've now won. While let's say WhatsApp, they, you can't just spend two billion dollars to go and um, you know, index all of the the potential WhatsApp users, you need them to download the app and use it. So, so it's just a weaker network effect, much weaker defensibility because uh, there's no there's no need for the other side to take an action to be added into your um, defensibility. Yes, and this is actually one of the things that I think philosophically makes network effects so interesting. It's similar to the way that I sometimes talk about democracy which is that all these things that we call network effects, they're fancy terms, we draw charts about them, they put them in textbooks, but it's all based on individuals making decisions. And the individual making the decision, whether it is the individual consumer or the individual voter, is the ultimate source of power. And so network effects get their power by tapping into the decisions of the individuals, not simply because there's a chart in a textbook. And then the other, so the actual data network effect that Google would have is that you have individuals who do searches and then th that those searches give data on, you know, a variety of things Like it helps Google better sort the, the results, I guess it, it helps them do the auto fill. Um, so the, the variety of things that they can do. Correct. But so they improve the search experience for the individual user by tapping into every other user. And the thing is, this is of somewhat limited power because the searches are, by definition, they're personal, but they really are pretty yeah. similar.
Google search for a car in a which is why the actual network effect that powers Google is the monetization through AdWords. So Google would have kind of a more traditional network effect. So not a data network effect. That's like their main defensibility. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of like the traditional network effect is that all businesses are on there to do the advertising already. And that's created this whole defensibility in, in their advertising marketplace. And that's their defensibility. Uh, not so much a data network effect, although it's kind of at play, it's minimal. If we were to look for a data network effect, what I would say is as a user, if I sign up for this service and contribute my data, that's the implicit part of it, that I get better service as a result. And if I stay on the service, even if I'm not contributing more data, my experience continues to improve as the service grows and adds more users. Okay. The other example I had was Tesla and specifically Tesla's self-driving cars mm -hmm. where I, I assume I, I, I've never used a Tesla. I've never driven a car. I haven't been in a car other than a taxi in like years. Um, but, uh, I assume the way it works is you drive around and you're somehow you know, recording driving data, and that is being contributed to their uh, database of, I guess, LIDAR data or something. And uh, that enables them to in, in make their autopilot better and eventually become a self-driving car product um, before anybody else. Uh, and that's so, so the theory. I, it hasn't been proven yet, but that's the theory. But that would be a actual data network effect if it worked like yes if the product worked. so it's a data it's a data network effect and the question is is it a strong enough effect to actually be a competitive advantage for tesla and that is still uncertain right it's, it's uncertain even though tesla tesla has this tremendous amount of data that has still not allowed them to make their self-driving better than others right we right. have leaders in the field like waymo that are further along in true autonomous driving than Tesla is. So it's not clear that it necessarily works. By the way, there is a great example of a network effect in the field of, uh, in the field of this sort of car driving kind of thing, and that's Waze, right? And the reason why there is such a strong network effect with Waze, and for those of you who are unfamiliar, Waze is a service that is owned by Google. Uh, that was started as a startup in Israel, but then became very popular, and which I use all the time. What Waze does is when you install the app, it gives you directions and it has real-time traffic information. That real-time traffic information is based on the fact that there are so many people out there with Waze installed on their phones and are being tracked all the time. And the big innovation that Waze had to go through was A, collecting this information and B, making it so that running Waze on your phone didn't consume so much battery that you had to keep your phone plugged in all the time. It's a hard engineering problem, but they solved it and that's made them hugely successful. And what's really powerful about Waze in that sense is because it's real-time traffic information, it really is a strong network effect because it's dependent on there being enough people around you to provide enough traffic information to effectively guide you. 
And that's something that is really powerful. It's really hard for a competitor to get to that density of usage and be able to provide that. And you could, in theory, do it locally, a la, oh, this is ways for the San Francisco Bay Area. But that's really hard because people like to drive all sorts of places and just being able to do it in one area is not enough. You've got to be the standard. So Waze has a really powerful data network effect because it's not based on users taking actions. It's just based on users installing the app and passively using it. Okay, so you would say Waze is a data network effect while, let's say, uh, WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram is just a traditional network effect. Correct. And, and the distinction is that Waze r relies on individual people contributing data, while uh, you know WhatsApp, let's say, you don't, you're not contributing data. Uh, Whether I use Waze or not, it doesn't matter. I'm still contributing data. Now, the key is Waze has to be useful because otherwise people will uninstall it from their phones. They like their battery to last as long as possible. But the fact is Waze is useful enough that most people will not uninstall it. And as long as they don't uninstall it, it's still useful to the to Waze because their data is being tracked and provided. So the, right. You know, our conversation really does align with how I was thinking about data network effects, just kind of like they do exist. And I, I mean, you were able to bring up an example of Waze that exists in the wild, yeah. uh, but it's actually really hard to find examples of actual data network effects that's you know that that are actually real or and kind of significant so it's like yeah google kind of has a data network effect but is that actually the driver of their defensibility no uh tesla does have a data network effect but does it actually drive real value unclear maybe, maybe not yeah so, so, and, and, and uh, like if think in my last business dedicated or, um, you know, any of these businesses, like people always claim that they have, it's like the data in the algorithm is what's making it is what gives us defensibility, but you know, usually no, um, I mean, it's a lot easier that. for a network effect to work on a PowerPoint slide than it is to work in the real world. Right. And, and the key question, so, so if you're a founder, and, and I assume a lot of people now, because it's trendy, are, uh, you, you know, building data heavy startups. So a, what's now called AI is just, you know, what used to be called big data. Um, uh, so they're building like data heavy startups because it's the trend. And a lot of them will be at least thinking of defensibility as being data network effects. And um, the core question is, does your product get data from individual people or businesses or things that voluntarily have to contribute that data? Correct. That's part one. And then part two is that data actually improves the value of your product or service for the users uh, and that it keeps improving it for an individual user even when they haven't contributed any more data simply because other people are contributing their data and it has to be actually super significant like it can't be yeah. like oh here's some marginal 
improvement. Um, so, so, so for example, WhatsApp, which has probably some of the strongest network effects in the world. Um, you know, if WhatsApp, ha like if I start Telegram, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, which is a real business that exists, and it's not particularly valuable business, even though it has some users, um, it has nothing compared to WhatsApp because it has no, has very few users. And uh, if I started my own version of, of WhatsApp, it would have zero value because there's nobody on it. While WhatsApp has near infinite value because everybody's on it. Um, so if I download WhatsApp, I don't have WhatsApp, but if I download it, I could text you. I assume you have WhatsApp. Um, Correct. And while this is I'm a really important point that you've made, Julian, I love it because what it tells you is the network effect applies whenever you contribute your data, right? It has to be that the value is there if you contribute on day one or if you contribute on day 1000. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and okay. So, so that's, that's kind of the core question. And I think the actionable thing as an entrepreneur is to be super suspicious and of like, just not buy your own bullshit about this. And it's like, yeah, it's true. You need to have a, a slide in your deck that says defensibility. And if that slide, if you can't find a way in which you're defensible beyond data network effects, you have to really question whether your data network effects are real. And well, you have to prove that they're real, right? A, a wise investor would say, oh, tell me about how the additional data makes the network more valuable for each existing user. And so what do you do, right? Like this is a... a, a so let's say you're an entrepreneur, you start an AI company and you're building it and you kind of follow the, the normal advice, just like get out and build and do stuff. And like, are you solving a problem for people and blah, blah, blah. And, and you do that and you are solving a problem and you're getting customers, but then it's like, is there actual defensibility? And, mm -hmm. you know, you can't really come up with a, a, a coherent answer to that beyond saying there are data network effects and then when you really think about it it's like yeah actually like this is like it's it's marginal right what do you do as an entrepreneur do you say like oh this is just not a venture scale business i'm going to run this as a as a non-venture scale business or like what's how how should you think about that so what I would say the ideal way to do this is to going into the whole process of starting the company, think through what those effects are going to be, right? The scenario you described is a person starts doing something, they get it up and running. And then after the fact, they try to convince people that there's a network effect. It's much better to design it from the beginning. Our patron saint, Reed Hoffman, was thinking about the network effects around LinkedIn from the very start. And he understood both the positives and negatives. The biggest negative being the cold start problem, which is for the first LinkedIn user, there's almost zero utility. And so that's why Reed had to emphasize not just, oh, well, you know, you connect to everyone in the world because when there's no users, you can't connect to everyone in the world. The emphasis would be, hey, if you get your contacts onto this network as well, the information will stay up to date. 
because that was a real problem for people like me who collected all this information in their Microsoft Outlook files. That information in their contact management database could be hopelessly out of date. The phone numbers would no longer work. The email addresses would no longer work. The note about their two-year-old child doesn't make as much sense when the child is in college. And so having the live updated by someone else information was a compelling reason to get people to be on board LinkedIn, even if it wasn't yet the default professional identity, which is where Reed was going. By the way, this also reveals that I think a lot of in entrepreneurs and even sometimes investors go into this with what I call the Harry Potter theory of life, which I don't think is as effective. The Harry Potter theory is in the world of Harry Potter, magic works in this particular way. You move a wand in a particular way and you say expecto patronus or expelliarmus and then it does its thing. And so entrepreneurs think, well, if I say data network effects on my slide, it's going to do its thing. And the answer is that's not how the world works. It's up to you to deeply understand it. Magic has these arbitrary rules because it's magic. The real life world has things that occur for a reason. You have to go beyond, oh, I found a spell book with something in it and say instead, I understand how this is impacting my users and why it's impacting my users and how I'm going to add value for them. Well, Chris, thank you for, uh, you know, discussing this with us today. Uh, and um, I would encourage everybody who's listening to uh, like this video and subscribe wherever you are. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, we're also on kick.com where we live stream. We're on Twitch, YouTube, etc. So subscribe and follow us at all those magical places and obviously on all the podcast platforms. Um, so uh, make sure to subscribe and mostly to like and leave comments because that helps us uh, with the YouTube algorithm. And um, thank you to everyone who was who spent their, their time with us. Obviously, you guys have a million other shows you could be watching. So we appreciate you giving us your 30 minutes. Uh, and Chris, um, you know, say, uh, thank you for uh, being available in a very busy week. My pleasure, Julian. It's always great to see you and looking forward to our next podcast. Yes. Yeah, see you next week.